So no fear, November, just to kind of recap real quick what we talked about so far. We started off with talking about fear of the future, which in actuality is not really fear of the future, but it's fear of repeating our past. And then we went into uh, fear of rejection, uh, which is tied to insecurity. So many people are so insecure and are rejected so much. And then last week, we talked to you about such an important subject as the fear of the Lord that we all need it. We all really want it. We've got to have it. And today we're going to finish this up with uh, really a fear of going all in. So many people are afraid to go all in. Really, it's the fear of commitment, the fear of commitment, because we really live in a non-committal society now. Uh, It's almost like we don't want to commit to anything. When we were kids on the playground, we would get out for recess. And of course, like kids, when the bell rings, you just go nuts. You want to get outside. You hate school. You want to get outside and play, right? And, and recess was always so short, especially the morning and the afternoon recess. Of course, now kids don't get any recess at all. I don't know why. It's kind of, it's kind of wild. They ought to let them get out in the, in the sunshine. But anyway, we would play uh, different things at different seasons. It might be marbles, it might be basketball. And, and every year would come around, jump rope would come around. And we would have this time where, you know, you know by the time you get out there and you get things organized, you got a big line of people waiting to jump rope. And inevitably there was always that one guy or gal, man, that just would never commit to jumping in the rope. You know what I'm talking about. You've heard me use this illustration before. It's like, they'd just be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, we just start hollering, just go, just go, just commit to this thing. Doesn't matter if you strangle yourself half to death, just do something. We live in a non-committal society. Nothing's long-term, week-to-week rent, maybe month-to-month at the most, sign a six-week, a six-month lease, I'm not sure about that. You know, in athletics, uh, it's free agency. Don't give me a contract. I want to just do this thing. It's like I want to keep the back door open. I want to keep my options open. I don't want to really commit completely. This, thing. this is the society we live in. Uh, don't hem me in. And I want to put an acronym up on the board for you about fear. And fear is really this. It's the frantic effort to avoid reality. It's just this frantic effort. Like I don't want to commit I want to really live in limbo, kind of like in purgatory, you know what I mean? Uh, It's like living in the middle of non-committal. That's where we, people just love to live in this, you know, because that way if I want to quit, I can quit. If I want to keep going a little while, I keep going. But I want to keep things open just in case. And you know, really and truly, God's not that way. God is an all-in God. And so when we start talking about commitment, we've got, to, we've got to realize that commitment starts with God. I mean, he is the instigator of anything that's worth anything. Your God, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, is the one who initiates everything, and he commits before you're committed. It's just amazing. Psalm 37, verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. In other words, he's going to get it done. God is the God of just do it. You know, Nike thought they had it cornered, but it's God who told David, said, I want you to just do it, David. I'm with you, just do it. And so God 
commits to these things. And it's, it's so wonderful. And, and what does it mean to commit your way to the Lord? It means to commit yourself 24-7 to a God of commitment. It means your innermost being. It means everything that you have, you commit to God. It's like, it's like hard to just get that halfway in-ism. It's like, you know, I, I just, maybe God, maybe you'll do this, maybe, I'm, I'm not sure. But just to give you a definition of commitment, Commitment means to pledge yourself to a stance no matter what the circumstance. You pledge yourself to a stance no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter how things change, you are committed to that thing. You know, God's fully committed to us. We mess up a lot. You know, we really blow it a whole bunch. Even Adam and Eve at the very beginning, God creates this wonderful utopia, really it is, but, and puts Adam and Eve right in this garden, but he gives them some instructions and then he, he puts a test there. He wants to test their commitment. So he puts one tree out of all the trees in the middle of the garden and he says, you know what? Don't mess with that tree. Don't mess with that tree. How hard could that be not to mess with one tree when you got a forest full of trees? But don't mess with that one tree, Adam. You hear me? Don't mess with it. And then the sinister minister comes, the devil. And what he does, he begins to test their commitment to God. Our commitment to God will always be tested. Matter of fact, something that's not tested is not really reliable. Anything that's reliable has already been tested over and over and over again. Most products that hit the market nowadays have been tested over and over again. Most systems that company, companies put into, into place have already been tested many, many times. And so the devil comes and he tests their commitment. And of course, you know, they fail. And then God, who is committed to us, instigates a plan immediately in Jesus Christ. You can find that in Genesis 3, 16. And, and, and so the plan comes and then Jesus comes on the scene to redeem all of mankind from the sin of Adam and Eve. And what happens there? He is tested. His commitment is tested in the, in the wilderness, 40 days of fasting. In the wilderness, Satan comes to him one-on-one. -on -one and test his commitment, he passes. He lives his life, now he's in the Garden of, Eden. He's in the garden of, of Gethsemane, not the Garden of Eden. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and what happens? His commitment is tested to such a point where he's talking to the Father and he says, if we can do it any other way, can we do it? And the Father says, no, we can't do it any other way. This is the way to do it. So he's tested. And then Jesus on the cross, what a test of commitment when a human body is hung on a cross, which we have no idea what that feels like at all, and he is being taunted by the very people that he created, things like, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? Come down off that cross and then we will believe in you. You can imagine the test of commitment to stay on the cross he stayed on the cross because he had you and I on his mind. He stayed on the cross because he was committed to fully redeeming mankind. You're here today because Jesus stayed committed on a cross 2,000 years ago. And we hear that so often that it just goes right over our head and it's just another saying that Jesus died for us while we were uncommitted he stayed committed. Amazing thing. 
He's fully committed. I mean, I just love the Lord. And so because he's fully committed, then it gives us something that we can sink our life into. I never sink my life into worthless things. What a waste. Things that I'm not committed to, forget it, man. I, don't, I could care less. But watch this. When we're committed to God, it then brings us into the second place that we've got to deal with, and that is commitment to the local church. His body, the local church. Now Saul, before he was renamed the Apostle Paul, was fully committed to his, his journey of destroying Christianity. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a powerful man in the Jewish religious government, and he was going about wreaking havoc uh, in the church. He was arresting people, putting them in prison. He was uh, involved in murders. He was just uh, you know, a man that was totally committed to what he was doing. And then one day, he was on his way to Damascus, a city, to actually arrest more Christians when he encountered Jesus. He fell down on the ground and he heard a voice that said this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, it, why are you persecuting me? And then he actually said, well, I'm Jesus. You know. Now, the, the, the thing that I wanna help you to understand is the connection that, that Jesus puts between you and I and between himself. Jesus was up at the right hand of the Father. He had already ascended into heaven, and, and Saul is wreaking havoc. And so why would Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me when Jesus was in heaven? Not being persecuted, but you know what? Jesus was basically saying, I'm part of them and they're part of me. Understand this, folks. This is, boy, this is not a joke. What we're in here is a big deal. We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 tells us very clearly now, you are the body of Christ. I would tell you right now, Northwood, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen. Part of the body of Christ. Not just part of a local church. When you, when you choose Jesus, when you commit to Jesus, you commit not only to the universal church, but you commit to the local church. And I've never been one to separate. There are some who say that I can serve Jesus. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about serving Jesus together with the body. One together with the body. And that's what commitment is all about. Did you know that... Uh, if I have a part of my body that doesn't work well, that, that's kind of rotten, and like if my little finger was just all black and no circulation and wouldn't move, I would probably just go to the doctor and have them just kind of take it off. Because what good is a, a rotten old bad finger just hanging on? Just get it cut off. I want to be a living part of the body. I don't want to get cut off. You know, statistics show in one church and several churches that they've gotten together and looked at their statistics because churches that are wise measure things because if you don't measure something, you can never manage it. And you know that some churches are saying that 30% of the most committed people only come to church every three weeks. We talk about church attendance here. You know, it's just amazing that, that even at NC, we will fluctuate. You ready for this? We will fluctuate 250 people a week at times. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's, it's like one week you'd have, you know, like a thousand. Say if we were a thousand, we're, we're larger than that, but a thousand. The next week you'd have like, you know, 750. 250 people. The average church in America is like 75. 
That's almost four churches just got to disappear on any given Sunday from the local church. And the thing is that we're chasing activities, we're chasing activities at the expense of the only institution that Jesus created. The only institution, I mean, you know, it's like the only thing that Jesus left on this earth was the church. And at the expense of that, we're doing this. You know, I was, I was curious about football. If sports stopped in America from Pee Wee League all the way to Major League, the economy would crash in one day. Absolutely. You just go, go study the figures. It will astonish you. But I want to know how many seats were in the major stadiums of America, NFL and college, the major ones. I think it went all the way down to 30,000. I didn't go past that. Do you know how many people can sit in football stadiums, not base, football stadiums only, on any given Sunday? You ready? You ready for this? 9,332,643 people can sit in our houses of worship for sports on Sunday because they are houses of worship. Now, look, I love sports, so don't get all bent out of shape. We'll let you out in time enough to see most of the Saints game today. You, you poor, pitiful person going to watch the slaughter. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, what happens in a, look, people lift their hands, dress up in all kind of crazy stuff. Whether it's raining or sleet, I watched the Green Bay Packers game, sleeting and raining and 36 degrees. And look, they are shouting, lifting their hands, screaming, paying their tithe. <laughs> Some of the tickets for the AM LSU game last night were $227. A hot dog cost you nine bucks. And people go, they plan ahead, years ahead, and nothing gets in the way. Not against that. I'm not against sports or anything like that. But can I give you 10 things or 10 reasons why attendance is going down in American churches? Now, these may fit you, they may not. I'm not for or against. I'm just stating information for you. You ready? Here we go. Number one, greater affluence. People have more money, and more money gives you more options. Number two, higher focus on kids' activities. We got our kids in everything, and a lot of it means we got to travel on the weekends. Number three, more travel in general, more vacations, uh, more weekend getaways than ever before. Number four, blended and sim single families because of custody and all these things. It fluctuates. People have to be in different places at different times. Online options. Why should I go if I can stay home? and watch the show. The cultural disappearance of guilt, number six. There's no more guilt about missing church. It's just like, oh, well, whatever. It's sort of like I missed the movie. It's sort of like I missed, ah, I missed that. Oh, well, catch it next week. Catch it on the DVD, you know, the DVR, you know, hey, hey, you know, anyway, don't have to watch the commercials. If pastors, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> number seven. Self-directed spirituality. People are looking less and less to churches and church leaders and more and more to other options like the internet. Can I say this about the internet, folks? <laughs> it's not always theologically sound what's on the internet. I mean, it just might not be exactly accurate. Just saying. And, and, and number eight, failure to see direct results. Because, simply put, because the church doesn't give instant gratification and your life is not fixed Instantly, people put a lower value on it. Number nine, valuing attendance 
over engagement. When someone merely attends church, the likelihood of showing up regularly or even engaging his or her faith decreases over time. It's sort of like, I ain't got to do nothing, I'm just coming. Number 10, a massive cultural shift. We just have a cultural shift that's taking place where people are not putting value on certain things. You see, because what I value, what really matters in my life, I give my life to. And, and that's how you can test the value that you put on things, folks. It's, it's so important. An absolute cultural shift away from commitment to local churches, we're seeing it now. But the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures kind of talk to us and help us. How about I just rapid fire several verses to you? Not really expounded, but I think you'll get the idea that we need each other because you've got to be part of a local church to have this thing really, oper- really operating in your life. You ready? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Encourage one another. Galatians 5, 13. Serve one another humbly in love. Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens. Ephesians 4, 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's why some people don't want to be part of a church because they just don't want to bear with each other. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Hebrews three thirteen, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And then Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, let me ask you this question. Old school, you ready? What if everyone at Northwood was as committed as you are. You ready? As committed as you are in praying, in worship, in Bible study, in small group attendance, in giving, in serving, in faithfulness, in commitment. Now come on. Come on. Come on. Everybody just just look at look down at yourself and say, what if the whole church was just like me? What kind of church would Northwood be? Are you thinking about that with me? If everybody was just like you. You know, one day I was, uh, I was here. I live a mile away, and so I needed to run and get something at the house right before service. I had forgot something in my notes. I'm not sure what it was. But I, I was leaving out the driveway, and I noticed a person who attends this church uh, who was heading in the other direction. And I knew that he wasn't a real faithful guy, if you know what I'm talking about. Pastors know certain things about the people that they pastor. And in my mind, I'm driving away, and in my mind, not saying a word, but in my mind, I'm thinking, man, what can I do? What can we do as a church to, to, to make unfaithful guys like that faithful? What? And I'm just thinking, you know, as a pastor, And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in my thoughts, and this is what he said. He said, do not start new things for unfaithful people. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. 
You get it? Do not start new things for unfaithful people. You can smile at me. Hey, the Holy Ghost, he just, that's all he said, you know. He didn't say anything more, anything less, but I understood what he said. Because as a pastor, I want 100% of everything. That's just always been my heart. 30 years into this thing, that's oh, still my heart. 100, let's go, 100%. But when we as pastors try to start new things for unfaithful people, all we do is wear out the faithful people. Come on, you just let that just resonate. That's what pastors have to deal with. You know, what are we gonna do? You know, it's just this new stuff, man, to make people, look, if, <laughs> it's so simple, the Holy Spirit basically saying, if they're not faithful to what's already going on, what makes you think they're gonna be faithful to most stuff? So we, we want to be committed. So if you look down at yourself just a while ago and said, wow, this wouldn't be much of a church. There would be no money, no one serving, nothing going on in missions, wouldn't invite anybody, would never pray, would never read the word, would just be kind of carnal. That's the kind of church that we would have. Then maybe it's time for an embracing of truth and making a step forward. Come on now, wouldn't it be great to make a step forward? I mean, it's been so long since some folks have made a step forward to say, wow, hey, I just went somewhere with Jesus. So we wanna be committed because every one of you has a gift that you can share with somebody and make God's body more attractional, more missional, more successful and enlarge it because that's why Jesus died. So we want to be committed to the local church. God's committed to us. We are committed to him. We're committed to the local church. And then we want to be committed to our spouse. Let's talk about marriage a little bit. I want to talk about marriage a little bit because I think there's a fear of commitment in, in marriage. I believe people are fearing things. I think people fear not being free. I think some people fear being hemmed in. It's like this. It's like, I don't want to commit because if I truly commit, then I don't have an option to do what I want to do. Let me step back one moment back into the local church. People don't want to commit to serving as leaders of teams or even as team members because they might have something else they want to do on any given Sunday. And that's not commitment. And in marriages, it's the same thing. I don't want to really commit to you, girl. What I want is I want all the benefits of marriage, but I don't want the responsibility of marriage. I want to be able to bail out anytime I feel like it. I want to use you, dude. You're paying the bills. You got me in a nice house, but I'm not really ready to commit to you. It's a non-committal. It's living in the middle of non-committal. It's where people are. You know, what, what, what if somebody else better comes along? You know what I mean? Or somebody with more money comes along. So I'll just bide my time here in non-committal, and then all I gotta do is get out. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But it's going on so much more. I'll get married when I can afford to. You're never gonna be able to afford to be married. <laughs> We're gonna have another kid when we can afford it. Well, you're never gonna be able to afford it. You just got to go. You see, we want everything settled before we commit, but you don't realize something that you gotta commit first before you know everything about things. 
Well, you just got to jump in before you know everything that's going to happen. See, the way I always did it is, is I committed and then I, I built my life around the commitment. You get it? You build your life around the commitment. You don't build your commitment around your life. My life is sporadic. There's all kinds of things coming down the pipe. I'm committed. Now, in other words, early on in my Christian life, I committed to the local church every service all the time. People think that's legalistic now. Back in the day, that was the pendulum swung this way. Man, you ain't even saved if you don't go to every service. <laughs> now it's the other way to say, you in bondage if you go to every service. See, the, we need to bring it back down here and realize the heart of commitment of where we are. And in marriages today, you know, divorce, they say it's going down. Well, it's going down because marriage is going down. People just not saying, I just don't want to commit. So we'll just hang out together and it'll be all right, you know. And then one day I'll marry you. How long y'all been together? We've been together 15 years. Well, when do you think you might be man enough to marry me? Doesn't it make sense? I would never, ever commit to somebody who's not committed to me. See, can I read this to you? Only in the soil of commitment will intimacy, maturity, joy, discipline, vision, and true fulfillment take place. Only once you say, I am committed. Come on, how about we just jump in and commit in every area of our life and go ahead and embrace the responsibility, the character of being a person who is committed. Thank you for that great uh, engagement there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on now. I, I can tell you're ready by that smile on your face, man. It's like, wow. You see, without true commitment, you always want to trade in the relationship, especially when it gets tough. Because marriage gets tough sometimes. Marriage gets tough. My daddy used to own a furniture store and we'd drive this truck, man. And this truck had many gears on it, but it had one gear we called grandma gear. And grandma gear, you know, you'd have to catch grandma gear when you really would load it down and wasn't going, it just, it wouldn't go, man. You know what I'm talking about. See, we like the, we like the highway on marriage. Uh, Jan and I went to Nepal, worst streets I've ever been in in my life in Nepal. They're horrible. I mean, potholes, it, you just drive in a pothole. I mean, the whole road is a pothole with other little potholes. And finally, when we got back home, when we drove down I-10, where a brand new pavement is like, man, do you feel that right there? Man, you know, it's so wonderful. See, marriage is okay whenever you're just driving down the interstate, but many times, a lot of times, and in every marriage, you're going to get off-road. And when you get off-road with a heavy load, you better grab a grandma gear. It ain't pretty. It don't sound good. But let me tell you something. It's got all the power that that vehicle has in grandma gear. So some of you right now, you need to grab a grandma. Not your grandma, but that gear that says, baby, we're not going fast right now. It sounds real ugly, but we got all the power going to the ground. And we're getting out of this mess that we're in because we are committed to one another. That makes sense? That makes sense. And if you get stuck, because even sometimes in South Louisiana, every yard is always wet all the time. And you get off the driveway and you're stuck, sometimes you need some help to pull you out. And sometimes your marriage is in trouble and you need some help to pull you out. Go get some help. Don't keep spinning the tires until you're down to the axle. 
putting two by fours under the tire, shoving a little gravel underneath a three-ton vehicle. You ain't getting out of there. You need help. Call for a tow truck. Might be a friend, a pastor, a counselor. Get some help when you're stuck because the reality is that most marriages live in the mundane. Can I tell you that, folks, that if you're trying to live a Hallmark movie marriage, turn off the TV. (laughs) Reality is set in. Go empty that trash and clean that bathroom. And by the way, the baby needs to be changed for the 18th time today. Shut up. Hey, the food is burnt. I don't want McDonald's again tonight. Hey, what's going on? We live in the mundane. There's a lot of times things are hot. Come on now, baby. Things are, oh, way you know, and there's sometimes where things are real cold. It's like, man, I don't want nothing to do with you. But you know where we live most of the time? We live in the mundane. You go to work, you raise the kids, you eat together. Come on now. And if you're not committed in the mundane, if you're looking for the hot spot all the time, forget it. I've been married 44 years. And you have to work at keeping your marriage alive and vibrant. Don't give up. And don't think that when you get older, it's easier. As a matter of fact, I would probably say it's harder. You say, my God. Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Commitment is the only avenue to take if you desire the stability and protection of of a real spousal relationship. People who live together without commitment of marriage are not receiving the full benefits of what it brings. Amen? It's just the way Jesus wanted it to be. So now let me give you another acronym. How about face everything and receive? Instead of frantic effort to avoid reality how about face everything and receive what commitment brings to you 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 know if you want you want to raise powerful children who have good self-esteem who are creative in what they do who are ready to face reality you want you want to face that's not going to be found on the ball field It's not going to be found in baseball, basketball. It's not going to be found in boxing. It's not going to be found, you know, cheering up and down. It's not going to be found in ballet. I'm all for that. I think that's all good, but it's not going to be found. If you want solid, strong, young people growing up into vibrant adults who know how to handle things, I would suggest to you that you be a God-first family and that you sink your life in the local church and stay committed to Jesus straight through, and then you'll see that your family will be more than what you ever hoped it would be be that's what I believe that's what I believe that's what I believe and also you got to understand who you're hanging with who you're hanging with you got to commit to the right people you got to commit to the right they you got to commit to people who are committed to God. You hear what I'm talking about? You got to you got to you got to commit to the people who who are putting the right things in your life. There's two kinds of people in your life. You ready for this? Two kinds. There's life-giving people. People when you get around you feel better about yourself. People when you get around, you know, even though we're not perfect, sometimes we kind of bump together, but but all in all it's people who say, "You know what? Man, you make me better." Life-giving people. In the church that's where we're supposed to find those. But then there, the, the second group of people, there's life-sucking people. <laughs> life-sucking people. And the sinister minister will always put one or two of these people up in your life. 
that just seem to want to just suck the very life out of you. I mean, they want to take it out of you. When we were kids, we played in the woods a lot. We were outside a lot. And we'd come home many times with little, those little red ticks. You know those little red ticks all around? They, they always found themselves right around our waistband. We'd come home when we'd get ready for a bath. We'd take off our clothes, and there they were. Just sometimes, man, like 50 of them all around us. Mom would get the tweezers out and start pulling those ticks off of us. Also, you know, we played in ditches and bayous and all over. And sometimes we'd get out the bayou and have these leeches on us. Those little leeches, you know what I'm talking about? They're like be all over us, leeches all over. We got ticks. That could be a good song. Ticks on the belly and leeches on the feet. Come on now. And, and so we had all these things. This would be sucking the life. And we would just pull those little things. We'd pull. Some of you have releeches ships. You understand? <laughs> you have people sucking your blood out. And you keep hanging with them. You're like, oh, I just love that little leech down there. Those 10 little leeches just sucking the life right out of me. I like ticks around my belly. We're having a good time, man. They're sucking the very life out of me. And you keep hanging with them. You know what I say? Get the tweezers out and pluck them out off your belly. Come on now. And pull those leeches out and get rid of them. And live a life that's worth living. Come on. We don't have very long left here. Why don't we just live it while we're here? Life-sucking relationships. I'm hanging around people are going to put something in me, not take a whole bunch out of me. And I can do that. I'm in control of that for the most part. So what do we need to do, folks? And this no fear November. Man, look, we can't fear the past any longer. We just got to realize that sometimes the, the, the past repeats itself, but we can't be afraid of that. If we made it through the first time the past did something, we made it through the second time. And we can't fear rejection any longer. We've got to be people that are secure in who Jesus is in us. And let rejection come. I will not be rejected. And we have to have a resident fear of the Lord. A healthy fear of God. And you know what else? We've got to get this thing right right here. We've got to become committed. We've got to commit to God. We've got to commit to his church, the house. We've got to commit to the spouse, and we've got to commit to the right they. Let me say one more thing about marriage. There does not have to be another divorce in this church ever again if we'll stay committed. Come on. Stay in your own bed and keep your own head, and you'll be all right. You understand? You'll be okay and be committed. And let's build a local church that will meet generations to come unless Jesus comes back. Let's build a church where, where, where we're known for our love of God, our love of people, and our commitment to stay the course until this thing is finished or I go home with Jesus. Amen? No more fear of commitment, no more living in the middle of non-committal. Let's bow our heads together right now, come on. Father, we love you, and I'm asking you to bring revelation to your people right now, to every person in this room, Father. Only you can speak deep into the hearts of people. 
Would you take the simple words that I shared today and God, would you make it real in the people's lives? May there be a step forward today being committed to you, being committed to the church, being committed to the family, and being committed to right relationships. Thank you for it, Father. Now, church, I want you to spend some time right now. Come on, examine those areas of your life. Examine this thing of commitment. And if you're living right in the middle of this non-committal, it's time to make a step forward. It cannot be just another church service. We cannot go through another month series. We cannot finish another year nearly without making a step closer to the character of Christ. Look at your life. Look at your church life. Look at your life with Jesus. Look at your marriage if you're married. Look at your relationships. Make a decision right now. Come on, make a decision. Let the Lord lead you right now. And while you're doing that, I want to speak to people who have not yet fully committed themselves to Jesus. The one who passed every test just for you. The one who let himself be nailed to a cross until he was dead so that he might pay for your sin. You see, I realize that it's our sin. It's your sin that put Jesus on the cross, not his own. He is so committed to you. He's all in. And what he's asking from you is an all in. So I'm speaking to you. If you're in this room right now, and you've never really ever committed yourself fully to the Lord. Or maybe you have, but in, in you know, time things happen. <clears throat> Certain circumstances may have really derailed your stance. But you're sitting in a chair right now and you're saying, today I need to recommit or commit for the first time. Wherever you are, God already knows. I want to help you. I want to pray with you right where you are. I'm just going to ask you to do this, just right there, right where you are. Before I pray, nobody looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you to just raise your hand up real quick and put it right back down and say, I need Jesus. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, all over this room. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to give you another chance. If you haven't raised your hand, you're just right now, your heart is beating. Just shoot it up. Come on. It's time to commit. It's time to fully commit. Yes, it is. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's time to go all in and to never turn back. It's not good enough just to commit and then just go back next week or next month. Understand that you commit to Jesus. He died once and for all for our sins. And when you commit yourself to him and he forgives you, he forgives your sins. You don't need to recommit to him every day of your life. Commit and then serve him. And if you sin, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. We have a friend. We have a lawyer that will plead our case to the Father. And God will look at us through Jesus Christ and we will be made righteous. If you raise your hand, I want to pray with you right now. We're all going to pray together just out loud to help all these new folks. Just going to repeat these simple words. Say, God in heaven... I thank you for Jesus Christ, for the blood he shed for me. Thank you, Jesus, for committing to the cross. 
I give you my life today, Father. I confess that I am a sinner and I need your grace and forgiveness. So I receive it right now. And I thank you for making me new, by forgiving me, by accepting me. Thank you that I've not been rejected, but I've been accepted. I'm part of your family and I'm part of your body. And I give you praise for everything right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen and amen. Come on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228 228- 215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.